All right, Tim, Danny, welcome to my podcast studio. It's a rare opportunity to do an in-studio uh, podcast. Earlier today, we were checking out your 3D printed house you did with Andre Rudenko up in Brenham, Texas. Uh, and since you guys are so close, we figured why not stop by over here, do the podcast. Uh, we got the sound, the lights. Uh, so thank you guys for letting me stop by and for uh, coming today to do this episode. Yeah, thanks for coming. It was fun. It's been yeah, fun so far. So. Yeah, I, I feel this is like just kind of a, such a coincidence you're in Houston now. Yeah, you, did you know? No, I had no idea. I mean, I've been following the podcast forever, and I had like, yeah. no idea you were in Houston. So I don't like to like broadcast the location necessarily, but right. uh, uh, yeah, I'm here, and it's I had no idea you guys existed either until a few days ago you finally started posting pictures uh, of the home you printed. I saw pictures on some other channels, but people were being hush-hush. I was like, who did this? Come on. Uh, they told, just told me Andre, who is very secretive. Maybe we can get into that later. But how did you guys first come to the idea you wanted to 3D print houses, and how did you guys link up together? So um, I've been following this for probably seven or eight years. And, and so I've always been interested in kind of alternative architecture. And I had, you know, built traditional homes. And then, you know, we built earth bag houses mm -hmm. and uh uh, Quonset hut, you know, house that uh, isn't finished yet. But uh, but I've always been kind of interested in finding kind of different ways to do it and ways to save money really has been my primary focus. Yeah. So I started following this a long time ago. And when it first came out, I wasn't really seeing like in the path, the cost savings on it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and just following and following and following and just kind of doing the math of like what the material costs would be and, and how you could uh, put together a system that could kind of leverage the kind of lower material cost to actually build something um, kind of cheaper than you could do it uh, traditionally. And it sure. got to this point where I thought, you know, it, it, this might be possible, but the only way to know would be to build a house because the information that was out there, it, it felt like it was filtered through so many different channels. It was hard to really get like a really like strong handle on it. And so the only way to do it would be to do it, right? So then you have to find the right partner to do it with you. Um, and I started speaking to Andre a few years ago, just kind of exploring um, that, you know, kind of system. And he had kind of a similar um, bent uh, as, as I did, which was, you know, like, let's just build it and see kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and what he does is he puts together his own machinery. And so it's like we could work together and put together, you know, he could put together a machine specifically for us, like, like kind of geared towards what we, um, you know, wanted to accomplish. So. We started talking about that a while back, and, and it just kind of kept building momentum from there. But there just came a point where it was just like, if we're going to do it, we just got to do it. So I went out and bought some land, got a few people together to, you know, raise a little bit of money uh, to kind of build this pilot project. And then, you know, we've raised a little bit more money to get into our next bigger projects after that. And how did you get involved, Danny? Well, uh, I was actually looking for a, a change of pace earlier this year, and and uh, Tim and, and his team at Hive, they uh, yeah they, they said they needed a handsome, strong back individual who could uh, you know work work through the uh, the good times and the bad. And uh, so I, I joined up with uh, with Tim and David uh, so in February, I guess, and um, you know just looking to do something a little different. And uh, as soon as we started working on it, met Andre, uh, saw the technology, and, and you know saw. You know, the, the, the printing and yeah. possibilities it just it, it really just kind of kind of kind of caught me so um, I've, I've uh, kind of just been here since and uh, this this is the direction I, I think that I want to be in here with, uh, with so these guys. So before this you were building other kinds of alternative homes and what were you doing? 
Uh, actually, an organizational psychologist. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So this is a quite a quite a bit of a, a pivot for me. But um, yeah, this um, being out in the out in the outdoors and working with my hands again. You know, at, at, you know, at, at forty five, who doesn't want to do that, right? Uh, it's it's been um, been a lot of fun. It's been very rewarding. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. So to take it on a little tangent, organizational psychology is an interesting perspective I haven't ever really heard about as it applies to a 3D printed construction site. So how are you looking at the way, because I guess this technology is changing the way that you're building. So it does require reorganization and figuring out optimal methods and the team. So like, how does the organizational psychology apply to that on the job site? Well, it, uh, we're still relatively small. Mm-hmm. So uh, a lot of the, the constructs and, uh, and the concepts that we work with in, in the IO world uh, really apply to, to larger organizations. Um, if, you know, just to pull in uh, statistics and, and psychometrics, we're really dealing with samples of, of larger populations. Sure. We're making inferences about uh, things and, and trying to extrapolate that to um, like a broader a broader uh, company uh, company size. So something that uh, wouldn't necessarily transfer uh, one to one here in a smaller organization, but there are concepts that we can apply uh, when it comes to when we're when we're talking about scaling up and growing. Uh, some of those things will, will, will come to bear, but uh, right now it's really just about um, you know it's it's a lot of hands on right now. So uh, the the organizational psych part uh, is is not really so much of a factor. I don't know. Tim may may disagree. But... I, I don't know how much time uh, we we had to think about as it. As much you know, time we, as we yeah. Did. I mean we uh, um, you know we had I'm not I'm not in here just like think about okay, it throughout yeah. this project. I, mean, I get it now. We our, our deal was like you know we did this with three three people. Sometimes we had a fourth person out there, but it was sure. me and Danny and Andre for the most part. You know Andre's son helped out a little bit. You nice. know, but I mean it was just like a. Um, it, it, it was a tough process, you know, to, to build that 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 whole big house. You know, like we're we're moving the sand ourselves, and we're you know feeding the mixers and all that good stuff, and you know getting the machine, you know keeping the machine working. I mean, it was a it was it was a it was a real process, and we learned so much. You know, Andre knows so much. He was able to kind of transfer a lot of that knowledge to us. You know, uh, we had we knew a lot of things about uh, a building that I think helped Andre kind of figure out how to do you know a a, a bigger house like yeah. this. And so it was, it, we really did, uh, it, was, it was just a cool project, but it was like, it took like a lot of like, there were very few people that would have stuck with us <laughs> the whole way like Danny did. I mean, we, yeah. they were all night shifts. I mean, we were printing all night sometimes, you know, we were printing all day at 108 Definitely. degree heat, you know, and uh, there was a, it, it takes a unique personality to kind of stick it through all that stuff. Yeah, it's true. And people don't think about that until they got the printer on the site. It seems like it's uh, robotics makes everything easy, but somebody has to make the robot work too. Yeah, you, I mean, you have to make the robot work. You got to get the materials into the robot. Um, you know, so there's there's still some some labor involved. Um, less of it. I mean, like I say, we when you look at you know a, a crew of framers come in, will typically come in with a small army of people. Yeah. Or when they lay the foundation, they'll come in with you know they'll knock it out quick, but they'll come in with you know twenty people. You know. And, uh, so to be able to do it with three people is, I think, uh, a promising avenue. Uh, so the robot is doing most of the work. The people are actually having to, like I said, get the materials to the robot, make sure that it's working, and you know, fix everything that's go, going wrong and things like that. Yeah, another really promising aspect is, uh, like, even though Andre's been doing it for so many years, a leading expert, I'm sure he was still learning new things on your project as well. I mean, everything changes no matter 
yeah. depending on the geography and the weather. So um, true. You know, I mean, we, I mean, Andre came, he was a, we were pretty much started with a, on a blank slate as far as the materials go. I mean, mm -hmm. we know we're, it's going to be concrete, but, you know, we, we figured out the mix together on site, you know, using kind of Andre's knowledge on it, you know, but uh, he didn't come with a formula at all. I mean, we sat down and figured out, we started with the classic, you know, one part cement, two part sand formula, and we, we kind of modified it from there. And, mm -hmm. and there was no, we had come with like a book of knowledge or, you know, we have a, a partner in our business uh, that has like 90 patents in concrete. So it was a great resource nice. for it. It's Green Cement out of Jewett. Uh, it's a great company. Uh, and they actually print with a fly ash. Uh, so, so it's got pause slag. Um, and we were able to use that as a 25% cement replacement, which, you know, it's a green product. So you yeah. get that, but it also adds some fluidity and some strength to the mix. So that was cool. And it was, it's funny when the, uh, we have an architect that's worked with some other 3D uh, printing companies and uh, they came down and looked at it and they said, we're using fly ash in this. And it's like, sure, yeah, we have this cool company. And they said that other companies said they don't, they, they can't use fly ash for some reason. And I never really got that because it worked great uh, with our mix. Yeah, I thought most mixes had fly ash in them, uh, but everything's changing so quickly. You never yeah. know. Uh, so you printed this home. What do you see the mature version of Hive growing into? What's the product you're selling in the market you're serving? Sure. So um, we have two projects lined up after this. We're going to do 10 kind of smaller rental units in uh, Round Top, Texas, which is a small town near Brenham. Uh, and then we're going to do this cool affordable housing village in Marfa, Texas, which is kind of a tourist town in the desert out here in Texas. Yeah, nice. And the one kind of neat thing about the way we're set up with both kind of our, our systems, we're very portable. So like our goal and dream is to be able to roll in with, you know, four, three, four or five people uh, in two trailers and build a house in 90 days. That's mm -hmm. what we're trying to get to. So um, instead of like, you know, kind of massive um, you know, uh, build outs and projects that, that do open things on this big production scale, we're able to go into areas that don't necessarily um, justify a, a, a huge sure. 100 house development or 200 house development. So many of those areas are just so housing starved right now because they don't get those production build economics. So if you go to, um, you know, all these small towns throughout Texas and throughout the country, um, or even big cities, you know, that, that the areas don't justify you know, a, a big home builder coming in and building, you know, hundreds of homes and getting those economics. Your only choices are to build a custom home in those in those places, and that's costing two hundred fifty dollars to three hundred dollars a square foot. Yeah, very expensive. You know, seven eight hundred thousand dollar houses. So that you have all these towns that a lot of them have cool stuff going on, like a beautiful location or a good tourist industry or or even some some just unique industry of that town. There's nowhere for the people to live. Uh, because they can't get the product, the production builders to come in there, um, and they can't afford the you know the eight nine hundred thousand dollar houses because there's nowhere for their you know teachers and their police officers to actually you know, uh, uh, you know live. So so we think that the with with how portable we are, um, that's that's a good niche for us. Um, so our kind of like I said, our goal is to be able to get a crew of four or five people together to be able to build a house soup to nuts looking at different roofing systems and things like that next to be able to kind of drop onto um, our 3D printed structures. Uh, that's kind of our, our near-term goal is to, is to get to that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense and you'd be unlocking the value of some land that was previously underdeveloped or uh, maybe didn't have the same kind of options available. Uh, one thing you're doing I haven't seen before, at least in person, is foam creed in the walls. 
Danny, can you talk about why you guys made that decision and how it's uh, advantageous for you? Yeah, there's a, a couple of reasons, actually. Uh, one of the challenges that I think a lot of people are facing in uh, printing 3D homes is uh, how, how, do you, how do you insulate and provide some structural integrity? And this is actually, I think, something that, that Andre had, had been kicking around for a while. But uh, the idea of foamcrete is that we're, we're, we're able to provide uh, great insulation uh, while at the same time also providing some, some really good structural integrity mm -hmm the walls uh, and we're not having to compromise too much with uh, with things like in a traditional home where you're going to have studs you can have thermal bridging there we have none of that we have uh, it's, it's a monolithic construction throughout the wall so it's uh, it's very uniform it's very consistent uh, and it's and it's easy to make so um, and we, it's also helped us keep our costs down yeah so uh, and it's so far from what we've seen it's been uh, we, we've been really happy with the results so far it seems like the kind of solution you could eventually attach to the printer, maybe, and even have the printer. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't yeah, that. After spending really. several weeks uh, holding that hose and filling those walls, Gotta that sounds it. great to me. Yeah, yeah so yeah. something like that would be awesome. Yeah. yeah, did you have something, you seemed like you had something you were on the tip of your tongue. No, uh, well, just that uh, the, the, the cost of the foam creates another big advantage of it. I mean, I... I think it's tracking uh, a little lower than what it would cost to actually fill those walls with some kind of spray and insulation or something mm -hmm. like that. So your 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 cost is lower, you get the structure and you get the insulation. So that's kind of the uh, what we're what we're shooting for with it. Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned some in some ways you over engineered potentially the uh, building you did now. So maybe there's some cost cutting potential there as well. Yeah, there there is. Like we did a lot of things just. We want to make sure that this house is going to be there in a thousand years. Yeah. Just be, you know, not going to have a wall fall down or something like that. So we can definitely dial back, you know, the amount of rebar we use. You know, we use some metal, you know, supports on the inside, uh, kind of overbuilt. I mean, we have these big 12-inch thick, you know, anchor bolts for the roof. You don't need all that necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, our structural engineer says we don't need it. His, he kept telling us, like, guys, it's just a roof. <laughs> you know, you don't need to uh, support, you know, like you know, 10 stories on top of this thing. But... But we really want to kind of overdo it on this one just because we're, uh, we want to make sure that our first one, you know, is, is a real rock solid house. Yeah, a big advantage you had, because good planning is building in a location you didn't need permits for the city or you didn't need a bunch of people to check off and give you permission. Uh, beautiful thing about Texas, it's those areas you're able to just do uh, what you want on your land. So uh, I guess it'll be a good example. Without that, there would be no way to see how long a 3D printed house lasts if you can't get a permit to build it there. Uh, so now hopefully the permitting department can see what you did and take it more seriously. Yeah, that's our, our hope, especially as we're moving into kind of some of the smaller towns that have this real desperate need for housing. A lot of them have been really open and, and willing to work with us, mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, on a on a more like, you know, conversational and unique level with the building department, which is often just one person, you know, so like really get them comfortable with it. We're going to keep this house. I mean, people would go spend the night in it, you know, you'd really get a feel for it, um, you know, and show that, hey, this, this, is a, this is a solid, solid house. You don't have to worry about um, some structural problem or something like that. Yeah, certainly. The architect who designed it, uh, who did you hire for that? Uh, so this one's done by my friend Bradley Hurtis um, at uh, Ordinary Architecture Group. He's actually cool. a small partner in our business as well. So as we're doing these other projects, we have kind of Bradley in-house, um, and now he's very experienced in designing 3D homes, so uh, so he's out on the forefront of it already, and he can do a lot of our drafting in-house, and then we've also partnered 
uh, with some other you know groups for these other two projects, and Bradley kind of collaborates with them. Do you have any kind of rough estimate of the cost up until the point we saw today of having uh, the foam in and the concrete up? Yeah, so um, it's uh, we've tried to track it very carefully. It's so hard because you have at this point specialized skills, and Andre's labor is kind of one of a kind, irreplaceable almost. The material right. that too. Yeah, the only thing I can do for Andre's labor is put five hundred dollars a day in the pro forma for it. So you know, I mean, whether it's whether it's worth uh, four hundred or a million dollars a day, I don't know. You know, but um, but I but I kind of pro forma it as um, you know an engineering type Fair enough. person. You know, and then you know I put Danny in it uh, two hundred bucks a day, and, and and me in it two hundred bucks a day. You know, which is you know, a lot less than I make in my other, you know, uh, businesses, but I'm just trying to kind of put placeholders in to, to help keep track costs. I mean, uh, realistically, $20 an hour labor is not going to replace you guys at this point. Uh, you take some training, some serious training, and you guys were able to train quickly because of your dedication. Uh, $20 an hour doesn't buy that kind of dedication necessarily. It does not. And you have to be an equity holder like Danny and me to really want to sit out there in the 108 degree weather and you know everyone's like unhappy because there's a problem going on or something it's 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 something you really kind of bulldog through you're not going to just hire someone to do that but the way we're set up is we're keeping a lot of that in-house yeah. so you know so when we go out with that crew of four people you know it's going to be they're going to be the people that know how to do this like soup to nuts you know and and in our group we have an electrician we have you know a, a person that can do rough and plumbing so you're able to kind of just collapse all those trades and people that are like mission focus part of the company everyone's got some kind of an equity interest in the company whether it's a tiny one or or or, or a big one right so everyone's kind of on mission and it makes it worth it you know to kind of go through um the the process which can be pretty grueling working with concrete in any context is grueling I mean, yeah. you're covering it you come home your clothes are covered in it you know you're just it's it's not always like you know like fun or glamorous you know but um uh but the end products are, are awesome so um, so yeah, so that, that's Put those long. qualifiers. Yeah. To, to get back to the cost, um, I can say that, uh, you know, trying to keep, so I said qualified, trying to keep cap costs for the labor, which is, you know, kind of a bit of a moving target. Yeah. It's also a moving target because like I say, we kind of, Andre kind of built with us and revamped a custom machine on the front end. Mm -hmm. So how much of that you put into this in this house, I don't know. Say it's a fixed cost that you worried about in the past. So yeah. only forget about the cost of the printer. Uh, try to include the assembly of the printer on site. Right. And then just what it took to get the house built. So would you want to talk about like cost per square foot or cost for the total house or? Um, well, Right now, you only have the walls up with the uh, rough-in plumbing. Sure. And uh, you have the foam in the walls, no yeah. roof yet, no finishing. So mm -hmm. with the stuff you've already paid for, yeah. where we're, we're at? about $100,000 right now. So um, Yeah, that seems reasonable. That includes the foundations, 30 of that. Yeah. So um, we actually... And that includes the land, too. So, you know, the, wow. the, our, our wall budget, our wall budget was... Um, Fifteen thousand dollars. So we're more more or less on budget. Certainly on uh, materials. Mm -hmm. So like the foam creed ended up going a little over. So we're probably uh, somewhere around twenty five to twenty six in materials for the walls, uh, not counting any of the labor that we used to to, to put it. Uh, when I did a pro forma for the business, you know, for a house that size, it's, you know, just to remind everyone, it's a big house. It's a yeah. thirty one hundred square foot house. So to to buy a siding package for that house is $26,000 or thereabout using national averages. So mm. uh, hardy plank siding itself is about $26,000 to have it installed, you know, materials and labor. 
uh, you know, and then you've got the framing and the insulation and the cladding, you know, which you got to put the plywood around the whole thing. Uh, so you're skipping all that. Skipping all that. So that's, I mean, this is not new. This is what everyone says, right? You're compressing all that into one. They say it, they don't all do it though. Sometimes they'll put drywall up inside. Yeah, it drives me crazy. Outside. Yeah, it drives me crazy. It's because um, most of them don't get the same layer quality you guys did. So that's okay. uh, something to be said for that. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, so when I, so when I proformed it out, it's like, I thought, uh, so tracking costs right now, when I put all the plugs in for labor on that wall, we were coming at like low 40s. And to build that wall, you know, uh, materials and labor, traditional, it was about 119. So we're seeing that like big savings in that wall system. Then everything else in the house is pretty traditionally done. The, the roof is gonna be framed and all that stuff. So we're hoping that we're coming in at a, is 20 to 30% um, savings over if we had just hired subcontractors to come out and build this house. and you know, and you can, you can check our math on it and double check us on this in about six months when we sell it. Because when we sell the house, uh, we'll sell it for something 20% under market or something like that. So, so if you go out and run your comps in that area, like we'll, we'll be a lower cost house compared to the size, you know, and then of course I'll talk all day about how it's better, but it is going to be less expensive. Yeah, that's an honorable way to put it, I think, because there's other features you could talk about, like the parametric designs and the curved walls. And mm -hmm. if you try to get those things built in a traditional house, it would be way more than $119,000. Uh, sure. So to do an exact replica, uh, it would almost be impossible with traditional instruction, but construction. So I appreciate that you're doing the comp per square foot rather than with all the bells and whistles, which are nice, but not... Uh, making construction cheaper, which is part of your goal. Yeah, that's our mission. You know, so like it, the, the whole project, you know, building a really cool, unique house that is like, you know, it's like a custom, expensive home. I mean, it's, it's, I think those projects are awesome that people are doing those, but it doesn't excite us. And it doesn't I put you me. guys in that category. You have the, the walls and the, uh, the stuff for the, I guess, gallery kind of inside. And uh, you certainly, I mean, those, added features it's effort in the design process but it's only a tiny little bit of extra material i mean it's basically right. free yeah yeah that's maybe even less material some some instances you know so yeah and so you're that's just changing the code on the computer mm -hmm. so um and, and thinking about it so that so that's one of the cool things is as we're so so as we're building an affordable house you know which we're doing you know in our next kind of projects not only can we build affordable houses that are very like safe and you know indestructible and will last a long time, they can be cool. You know, they can be places where people really want to live because you can have these unique elements to yeah. it without adding costs because you're just changing what the, you're telling the printer to do at that point. Um, Especially you know, as an Airbnb, like you said. Yeah, for Airbnbs or rentals or things like that. So that's kind of one one thing that really drew me to the whole technology is like you can do cool architectural stuff without adding those architectural costs that you would normally see. Yeah, for sure. How? What kind of finishes are you going to put in the house? We got a, a couple ideas. Uh, I mean, I, I think overall, I think we're looking at maybe just a, a clear coat, a tinted clear coat mm -hmm. for where uh, and, and some of the bigger, like a, the, the cooler sections of the wall, like in that in the hallway, yeah. where we have the uh, you know the the cool features going on in there. That's all right. Um, so something that really kind of showcases the uh, not only the, the texture and the uh, the color of it. Uh, but I, it, you could use anything from you know just painting it to stucco um, if that's if that's what the customer wanted. But we're going to try to preserve as much as that the uniqueness of the the, the layers and the and the pigmenting that we mm -hmm. added in. 
uh, as possible. Um, but I think there's some areas that we're probably going to paint. Maybe the bedroom. We're going to look at. Yeah, I mean, we're security. we're trying to hit that design, uh, that design kind of point where it's like um, clean, simple, um, you know, and, and beautiful. So like it's going to be stained concrete floors. We're not going to do much with the walls. We're not going to have like crown moldings or anything. Like that. Just a clean finish with the ceiling drywall. Um, some of the rooms will be painted. Some of them will just be clear coated. The outside will just be clear coated. Um, and so. Uh, it'll be kind of a, I mean, a modern-ish, uh, but also a little bit kind of southwestern-ish with that coloration. Uh, but everything's just going to be clean and, and simple and, and hopefully uh, low maintenance all, all throughout the house. Anything special with uh, like HVAC or smart home stuff or uh, anything like that? Yeah, uh, we're going to run some cool wireless systems for smart homes so we don't have to worry about a lot of infrastructure. But, you know, we're just going to, we have a... Uh, Toner Home Matters, uh, we have an efficiency expert that's kind of spec'd out some more cutting edge, you know, HVAC systems and smart systems, so we'll, we'll integrate that, but we're doing it all wireless so we don't have to worry about running wires and things like that through all those walls. I know with thick concrete walls like that, the Wi-Fi, you got to be a little strategic with your, uh, have you gone through that exercise yet? We have, yeah, so we're going to have a boosters in a few places mm -hmm. to, to fix that issue because they are thick and they are solid, so yeah. Have you guys ever heard of a guy called the Liver King? No. He's from Houston, I think, or Austin, and he, uh, he's been going on all these like social media podcasts and stuff talking about how he just eats raw meat and uh, <laughs> has lives in like a cave okay. in his house, so he has no Wi-Fi, and he built his house so that no Wi-Fi can get in, and he only uses Ethernet. Nice. Uh, we, could print him a, we could print him a house. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. The Wi-Fi could be an advantage. Yeah, for absolutely, the right for some people, for the right people. So you're thinking about building him a cave. I was thinking about consulting. Maybe we bring him in and yeah, okay. you know, pick his brain. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, we just gotta like build him a, a, a like a meat locker with a little cave next to it. But like, <laughs> we had a. That's the other cool thing I forgot to mention. Like, you know, in this house, we're gonna pick one of those rooms that have that solid fill, and we're gonna put like a heavy duty ceiling on it, and like a like a metal door on it, so you have like a safe bomb shelter, as a safe as a bomb shelter, tornado room, that safe, kind of thing. Because yeah. because we're doing the solid fill walls, so it's like we're normally. A tornado room you got to pay all this extra money for it's the cost of some more heavy-duty lumber and a better door for or a big safe door on some drywall you could just punch through or something like yeah, that. yeah exactly it's great yeah, yeah yeah I mean that's like a lot of people don't realize on a hardy planks hardy plank house I mean you can kick through that wall if you're determined you know whereas you won't be able to do that in our house that's one advantage you can kick through if you're not determined yeah right right incidentally hopefully nobody's kicking down houses anytime soon but, uh... yeah, it happens more than we'd like to know I guess <laughs> Yeah, so you guys have been uh, working on this startup. Have you had other startups before this that you've been involved with? I have, yeah. So, um, you know, I was a, a lawyer in my past mm -hmm. life. I uh, did, you know, some I didn't see that transactional coming. work. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, a compliment, no. I think. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, I, I went to law school. I was we're a big, big firm, Vincent and Elkins here in town, you know, and uh, uh, then a litigation boutique after that. And uh, and then I left that practice to start a behavioral health company with some mm. friends of mine, and uh, I was a partner there and uh, the general counsel, and I still am the general counsel for that group. And uh, we kind of that was two years ago, and uh, and we wanted to it, the idea is we get it off the ground and then you know, phase out of the day to day, and that's where I am now. So I'm phasing out of this and into this, and so this is this is what I've always wanted to do, though. So sure. Um, How did you jump from law to behavioral health? Uh, just good friends and clients. Uh, what is behavioral health? It's uh, it's a mental health care. So okay. It's, so we have a uh, 
offices, you know, around the country now and a rehabilitation center. Like it's like a super nice 50 acre like a rehab facility uh, for substance abuse uh, mm -hmm. patients. And then we have outpatient centers in Houston and Austin and Chicago and a lot of different places. But, um, but yeah, so uh, it was it was more more the fact that my really good friends and really good clients wanted to start it and they wanted me to help. So yeah, three such different fields. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was doing a lot of the legal work for for the uh, mm -hmm. behavioral health, you know, roll up. It's a it's a pretty complicated thing to put together. So uh, similar field, you know. And then in the meantime, I've always been building, you know. So uh, so this has always kind of been my my passion on the side. Did you build your own house? Uh, I built one of my own houses, mm -hmm. yeah. So um, kind of went through some of that process uh, through that, and then I've worked on townhouse, you know, um, developments here in Houston, and done the deal work for them forever. Uh, and I put together a lot of those deals, so it's kind of like, you know, raising money for something like this uh, that I was that I was actually going to be a you know a, a major partner for uh, was um, so much easier, you know, because like it's something I'm passionate about and mm -hmm. so that comes through, you know, so like I've raised money for a lot of different projects and a lot of different people and some go good and some go bad. This was the people that get it, get it, you know, and, and they're like, let's, let's do it together. And so we were able to put a smaller group together of people that, that put some money in to be able to scale it up to the next level, which is 10 houses, then 20 houses. And then I think we've got uh, a potential deal we're kicking around for 80 houses in 2024. Nice. That would require some more printers, right? Absolutely. So we, uh, we, we're working with Andre to, to build some systems. We have some other options out there as far as uh, people to help us build some other systems. Um, you know, so we know what we need. We know how to build it. We know how to use it. So I think it's a matter of um, you know, just, uh, just scaling and going at this point. Well, we're 30 minutes in. I don't think anyone's listening anymore. You guys want a Stella? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you guys ever done a podcast before? I've done a couple. Yes. Yeah, this is my first virtual. First, uh, yeah, or I was over Skype too that I did. So we did some for Ethos, which is behavioral health, yeah. um, and then uh, so I've done a couple of those. I did one for for this, just like a, a random one because Cheers. some lady came out and saw. It. She's like, "Oh, can you be on my podcast?" And I was like, "Sure." So are we nice. all fair or are we still recording? We're still recording. Okay, so this is like a live sitting around drinking still. I like it. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's always been a relaxed podcast. I mean, right. It's all focused around automated construction, but uh, it's just uh, so few people listen to the whole thing anyway. Yeah. Uh, and I think in the long term, it'll be really interesting to see the companies like yours. You guys are just getting started, and there's so right. much potential for the industry. Who knows where you're going to be in two years, four yeah. years, ten years. Yeah. Uh, so it'll be super cool to like do this again with you guys. Uh, right. Absolutely. And see yeah. how things change. No, uh, we're... Um like we've uh, we've burned the ships. We're we're uh, this or nothing. So you know, uh, we're, we're, it's, it's, it has to happen for us. Yeah, I feel the same way. Uh, I'm just filming the projects. You guys are actually having to do them and yeah. do the sweat and the improving the technology and stuff. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, as long as you guys keep doing your job, I'll be able to keep doing my job. Yeah, no, you got, you should come out. So when we do the round top one or the Mar Marf is cool. You, you should come out to Marf and just yeah. like, stay out there for, with us for a while and like. You know, shovel sand with us and do all that stuff. I mean, it'd be great video. Like, yeah, it'd be a great video. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's a little bit more of like a maybe a dirty process than maybe some other places, but like, uh, but it's it's efficient. You know, like like we're I don't know. I, I, since since we don't have a lot of money, it's like we can't spend a lot of money. Yeah, that's a uh, 
forced discipline. Sleeper benefit almost. Yeah, it's like forced dis- discipline. You know, like we, I, I, we could go out and raise money. Like I, like I said, like I, I stopped raising money after I got what we, what I thought we needed, and it went really well. So like we could keep doing it, but it's like, you, I feel like forcing ourselves to be disciplined about it is going to help us stay on mission, which mm-hmm. is to be able to build these things like more efficiently. If you just have the money lying around, I just feel like you're going to spend it. Are you guys spending money on an office right now? No. Yeah, nice. This is it. It's Danny and me and um, David and Andre and uh, Andre's got an RV, <laughs> you know, he drives around it. You know, I mean, it's super lean, you know, and I, I think after, we will need a place to park some of our stuff. Uh, we've got some um, some equipment and machinery. You saw some of it out there um, that we've got to park it's, you know, as we move past Marva. But we're going to, Marva's probably going to take us four or five months. So after we do that, then we'll probably bring it back and get a yard or something. You got some options for it. While we're talking about the equipment, uh, how is the mixer pump system used? Say it one more time. The mixer pump and the whole material process. Uh, so, so with our setup with with Andre, we, um, I mean, it's it's pretty simple, elegant in its simplicity. Uh, there's a there's a screening station, uh, a trough that, that turns up, dumps into our, our mixer. Uh, it's just a, a standard drum mixer. It's got a big paddle in it mm-hmm. uh, that feeds into the pump, and from the pump, it's just a I think it's a six-inch rotor that pumps to our extruder, and that's uh, all the magic happens though with the extruder and, and Andre's system. Um, but everything that's that goes into that is, um, I mean, it, it, Tim said before, you know, using local materials. It's it's basically Portland, uh, fly ash, sand, some aggregate, uh, and water. So we're, it's it's a pretty standard mortar mix, but um, you know, we're just we're able to get up there and kind of keep an eye on it and. Uh, so much of it is, um, it, it, it's really subject to the humidity, the temperature, all those things. So you really do have to kind of visually keep an eye on it and just make sure that it's the right consistency and kind of, there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of tactile uh, inspection, you know, feeling the mortar and, you know, really getting uh, up close to it. Yeah. But that, that kind of fits in with, um, you know, like, like we're talking about this force discipline thing. Um, keeping things simple and really kind of making us get down in there with our hands and getting very acquainted with with the product that we're working with and I think that's made us um, I think really good at what we're doing so far uh, it's given us a different perspective I think you would in some other systems yeah we had a um, engineering group come out that were you know looking to invest in the company they brought a whole team of engineers out um, nice. Like, uh, and it was driving them crazy, like watching us work because uh, they were like, "Okay, so how much? So like, what? What? How much of? Uh, how much water do you put in?" And we're like, "Well, until uh, Andre says it looks good." Yeah, well, well, to Danny says it looks good. <laughs> oh, you got it down. To, to Andre's credit, like you know, like he he was over with his machine, you know, and, and you ask like Andre, like, "Hey, you know, does this look right?" He's like, "I don't know. What do you think?" You know, like Andre, he's he's very you know like hands off once he decides that like you know. Uh, you guys have got it, you know, so like he gave us some general parameters and then we just kind of mix it, you know, and, and, and so the idea is, yeah, it's like, till it looks good, you know, like, like this batch, it may be, you know, a three quarters of a bucket and the next batch, it may be like half a bucket of water just because right. the sand might be a little bit different. So you want to like, you just want to look like lumpy oatmeal, you know, it doesn't look like lumpy yeah. oatmeal, you have more water, but you know, and so, but they couldn't, it, it was driving them crazy because it was like, so it's different every time. It's like, eh, kind of, you know. Yeah, uh, I think that's a, big part of why you got such a high quality material uh, and high quality layers. The uh, process you're using, so you said it's a screener to get rid of the big aggregate. Sure. Yeah. And then it goes into 
a tumbler or what's the name? A drum. It's, it's a, a drum. There's a trough in it that spins. It takes it up to the the drum mixer and then dumps it in there and then it mixes it. So in the drum mixer, it's going continuously until you tell it to dump. It it operates pretty continuously. The pump uh, is intermittent, but mm -hmm. the mixer uh, is pretty much going the whole time we're working, and so we're feeding it. Uh, and we're constantly feeding it, saying our our pouring down in the end bringing it up there and then dumping the water up there in the mixer and it's it's going pretty non-stop yeah most teams i've seen have somebody watching the extruder head to monitor the material and then based on the visual quality there they might know it has to be drier or more wet or go slower faster so they're usually communicating to the person at the mixer pump is that the same so something similar um we do a lot of that visual inspection right there at the pump and the mixer um there there we're we're pretty close together as far as how we're arranged at the site so there's a lot of communication going on you know if we need to mm -hmm. um if we need to cut back on the sand or if, uh, if the sand might have a little bit too much moisture in it you know he'll let me know and andres uh of course he's monitoring the progress of the model and you know he lets us know if it's coming out of the extruder one way or another and uh, andre had that thing feedback. wired in with so many cameras <laughs> and like, you know every, every time i turn oh, around, talk about the cameras, cameras. <laughs> like wiring other cameras like how many cameras do we need but anyway so we have all these cameras everywhere so we got you know on the ipad you can go look at it going into the little hopper on the extruder and um and you know one thing that we learned is once we got the machine optimized we actually had a decent strike zone as far as the the mix mm -hmm. you know that like like early on we were you know, really concerned about hitting this like perfect consistency all the time with the mix. And after Andre and us, you know, came, made a few adjustments to the machine, we got to the point where it's like, it, you know, it had to be in a, in a band, but it wasn't that narrow a band. It could yeah. be a little wider, it could be a little thicker. The machine handled it fine either way. Um, you know, as long as the layers were stacking and, you know, and, and, and setting up pretty good, we were, we were good. Yeah. The, projects I visited usually have some change in color throughout the print but not intentionally and I think your intentional change in color uh I don't know if it masked it or you just it was consistent but it ha definitely has good effects yeah no that, that I you know when Andre told us to do that do that I was like okay cool we'll paint over it later <laughs> you know but then he did it and I was like oh it looks cool it looks so, great yeah it looks great so I think mean, we'll keep it he was right about that you know it takes away a little bit of the uh like prison cell vibe exactly yeah and that's another design thing I mean, we have we try to design big with big windows and like that yeah, living yeah. area is a, a big vaulted ceiling you know goes up 20 some feet so just kind of have a lot more air inside the house to, to avoid that cave like feeling also 10 foot tall on the on the walls which is you know i think um you know that, you, like you say you're building a custom home you usually start out with nine foot walls mm -hmm. and then you add that other foot and it costs you a fortune but it looks it's much nicer on the inside with the printer it doesn't add that much more to go with that other foot, so it's another thing you can do that's low cost but high impact. How many square feet are on the lofted section? Uh, 980. Mm -hmm. So the bottom, the 990, the bottom's like 2160. So more than two thirds in the printed walls and then something in the ceiling, loft. Yeah, it's like a loft bedroom. area up there. Yeah, I mean, it was just a loft uh, right now, so it's just like a big, it's, so that he was, the whole house is so like hard, you know, like everything on the bottom floor okay, is yeah. like, you know, like, concrete everything you know and so they have kind of a soft space up top where you can have like a you know tv room and you know game room stuff like that would be kind of a nice change yeah i think that's smart using different materials and big glass and uh ways to make it less monotonous yeah yeah 
So yeah, that's uh, so yeah, we we were happy with our architect. It didn't start that way. It started as a twenty one hundred and sixty square foot house with no loft, and a mother in law suite attached to the garage because the garage is another. It's like a giant garage. So that's another seven hundred fifty square feet that we're not counting that we actually printed. Uh, but that mother in law suite cost per square foot was actually kind of high because you're adding you know appliances and everything mm -hmm. so we scrapped that and then we added the loft and that got that total square foot much higher and you know it was kind of a just a way to optimize what we had because our architect had already designed this kind of high-pitched roof and there's all that space up there we needed to use it it's interesting the garage too that's a pretty uncommon feature in an airbnb well it wasn't we didn't initially we want to stay flexible with it because we are going to sell that house at one point. Was that the maybe granny suite or? Yeah, I was going to have a granny suite to it, you know. Um, and we so we're going to sell the house, you know. So like that area, like you know, it's 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 a higher end real estate market. They expect like a garage. Sure. Hill country, you know. So like the house is built. That's also our subdivision development, you know. And the other, and the houses people are building there are like you know seven eight hundred thousand dollar houses. So like you know you're going to build. A house that's similar in you know price point. You have to have a detached garage. You have to have you know all the bells and whistles and all that good stuff. It has to be a big house to kind of fit the area. But that's not necessarily what we want to go with a lot of what we're doing next. We'll we want to maybe mix in some custom projects as we go for people that want to build something really cool. Yeah, it's good to stay adaptable. I mean, you definitely want to reach that affordability at some point. But if you are hitting like a value market or a high uh, like a quality or a more expensive market. Uh, it's like the Model S came out before the Model 3. Right. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, in this house, you know, you just have a lot more room for air, you know, with a bigger house, you know, at a higher price point. You know, I mean, if we missed our costs, we still have margin in the house. And I mean, that's another thing that we really wanted to do. We wanted to be profitable from day one. I mean, we built a house. We spent, you know, we're going to spend something less than $300,000 building it, it's going to be a $600,000 house wow. at minimum. So, like, we have a margin, you know, right? Even with all our printer building and, you know, um, everything else we're doing, like, there's still a margin there from our first one. So, as a startup, that's, like, a cool spot to be in. Um, yeah, I think it was smart to print the garage first, too, because I noticed every company, they get their first printer, they do their first print, and it's a mess because they're, it's so challenging, you get frustrated, and then you just want to get done with the project uh, mm -hmm. and then their second home they learn from the lessons it's less stressful if something goes wrong they just address it uh, so you got that first project it was only really the one smudge I saw we didn't inspect super closely but for the most part it looks great but the print you did after that was noticeably better yeah and that we were just learning uh, we were learning uh, you know we were adjusting the machine for the local conditions uh, and the weather and the mix it all came into it so yeah so we had to like and now we'll be able to do it, you know, better from 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 the very very get go. And I, and there's still there was like in the garage there's some cracking. We saw that that was a hydration issue. Uh, <clears throat> all that cracking and things like that is all non-structural because of the infill. And it wasn't floor to ceiling too, which is good. Yeah, no, I mean that would have worried me if we had a crack going from the floor all the way to the ceiling. It happens, and like you said, yeah. it's non-structural, but uh, yeah. it's better if it doesn't. Right, right. We're talking little, like four-inch, you know, five-inch cracks here and there. Uh, it was just hot. It was so hot and so dry out there, and really windy. Like I mean, there was there was a period everything was just blowing over from the wind. It was it was kind of nuts. Yeah, it's our fourth fourth tent, fourth mm -hmm. tent. The one that's out there, the blue tent, and the uh, 
the dining area. Yeah. We watched a lot of tents fly off into the, oh. <laughs> the sunset yeah, up there in the hills. There's remains of quite a few. Yeah. You need to print some concrete anchors for the... We oh. do. Yeah. Yeah. Andre's gonna hear yeah, it. no, Andre over-engineers <laughs> everything, so he always had these, you know, plans of how we're gonna build an indestructible tent. We just gotta, we can't over-engineer the tent, man. We just gotta, gotta keep on the house. We'll just cost 150 bucks. We'll just buy a new one. So anchors, the, yeah. the printer needs some sizable anchors to preserve rigidity, right? Yeah. Yep. We uh, drilled into the ground on this one and poured poured a little concrete in there and anchored mm. it in. So and it, in the future. Maybe we'll come with a better system that's a little faster, but this one we we're being super careful. Yeah, I don't see any way to avoid the anchors with the gantry system. You're just moving such a heavy piece of equipment, you can't be uh, changing direction so quickly. But I saw one group in California did something pretty clever. They used the uh, they poured sidewalks, and that was the anchor. So then oh, they cool. cut yeah. off the connection and left the sidewalk. Uh, granted, it's like twice as thick as a regular sidewalk, maybe three times. But yeah. Mm. We didn't have to do all that. I mean, we, we just got a drill with a big, you know, uh, auger in it, you know, and, and broke my wrist four or five times. But, like, you know, just, like, drilled into the ground, like a hole about that deep, and then uh, poured a little concrete in there and stuck a bolt in there and used that to bolt into it. That's not so, bad. I mean, other groups are using four-ton blocks. To goodness. Wow. Yeah. No, I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't, this this Stroybot's a nimble machine, you know. I mean, it, it was. Uh, I mean, to Andre's credit, I mean, everything he's done because he's been forced to do it. I think, you know, not being icon with you know hundreds of millions yeah. of dollars or whatever, uh, is very practical. So I mean, the thing roll we rolled in. He brought the whole thing on a forty foot trailer, you know, and uh, we brought tools. You know, that's all we brought to the job site. You know, we had sand delivered. You know, and then so, um, yeah. I mean, we put an auger on and drilled holes in and stuck a bolt in there and bolted the rails down to the down to that and it worked fine. I mean, and then underneath the rails was just like wood shims to get it level, you know. So it's a printer on rails. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah. We're learning a little as slowly we're uh, picking up a little more information. I know the Andre is very secretive about some of his technology, which uh, rightfully so you develop something, you don't want somebody to go and take it fair enough. Uh, it's interesting to get little insights. Yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, that. Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't want it really featured in a lot of videos, and I get it. Uh, it's his machine, um, and you know, as we're building our own with him, you know, we'll try and respect you know the parameters he has for yeah, it, for, for sure. that. Um, even though you know, it, at times I think that like it's been the, the printer designs that you see out there, they all fall into different categories, you know, and, and but they're all getting to the same place, which is they're they're moving, you know, they're they're moving the, the nozzle around where it needs to go. And I don't really think that's where the magic is in the whole process. I think it has more to do with the entire system that you put behind it and um, the material science, all of which Andre is great at and you know and, and getting it all to work together. I mean I, I could I could build I feel we feel like we could build a similar house with a lot of different a lot of different machines. Andre just happens to be the best. So Sure. So the uh, you got Andre's printer, you got the uh, software. You're using kind of off-the-shelf 3D printer software that's modified. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know how much Andre wants me to talk about that, but it's uh, we can glaze over. Then. Yeah, it starts with an open-source program, and and it's been modified by Andre and another uh, another guy that works with Andre. So it's uh, kind of a custom program. Yeah, cool. And so for those who don't know, Andre 
built a printed castle in his backyard many years ago. Uh, it was when the Icon CEO, I think, was in school, and the CTO they printed a small shed, mm -hmm. uh, like, and there's a funny picture of their CTO in a yellow raincoat next to the shed. But uh, I think around the same time Andre was printing, and then he did a hotel in Indonesia. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever visit that project or? Nope. Did you uh, see any of his other prints? Uh, not in person. Uh, wow. You know, I just started talking to Andre, um, you know, uh, over Zoom, you know, via email. And, you know, back at that time, this was just a year ago, so things have moved pretty fast. But, you know, the big mystery to me was like, if this stuff is so great, where are all the houses? That was kind of the research project I set myself upon. You know, it's like, like, if it works, if it saves cost, uh, if these machines that are commercially available now can do it, where are all the houses? <laughs> yeah. And, and so this was just this big mystery to me. Um, and I, you know, banged my head up against that. You know, I talked to every printer manufacturer out there and they all said like, no problem, buy the printer, you know, you'll be able to build a house with it like right away, you know, and it, something just wasn't adding up, you know, so like, um, you know, so I was like, the only way to figure this out is to do it. And then I was like, well, how do we do that? Like, so there, there were, there was Andre, there was a couple other groups that were like, that we're still working with that were like, you know, well, let's just do this together and we'll prove the concept together. And, and, and Andre was the most like flexible, seemed the most experienced to be able to do that. So like, that's what we're going to solve. We're going to solve the mystery because Andre is going to drive down here with his printer uh, and we're going to joint venture this project and then joint venture the company together with him going forward. Um, and, you know, that's what we did. Wow, you really took a leap of faith yeah. in uh, not seeing the printer, not seeing it, uh, how it works. I'm, you know, in my past life as a lawyer, I know how to structure things that kind of protect, protect all the parties. You know, yeah. I always say, like, hey, look, if there's a need and there's funding, uh, there's a way to share the risk in this in a way that makes sense for everybody. And Andre was the perfect partner in that he brought the printer, the expertise, you were able to bring the land and some funding yeah, to do the land, project. Land, funding, you know, future projects, you know, all the thing, you know, a, a business structure that could help, you know, grow it. All those things can come from our side yeah. uh, to allow him to really, you know, focus on his passion. So yeah, so like he was the perfect kind of person that was that flexible to kind of really prove the concept out. So, you know, it was just a time of like, we didn't know necessarily if Andre was going to come, you know, like I mean, we know we had a, I mean, I, I know he was going to be good to his word when he said he was going to come, you know, but like until he, you never met him, you know, so yeah. until he arrives, you know, with the, the trailer on the back and the printer, like you don't know, you know, and then, um, you know, he, he arrives and it's just Andre with his stuff, you know, and it's like, it's me and, and you know, and Danny and we're like, oh, it's started. So start unloading that, you know, trailer piece by piece, you know, like, isn't the internet great? Yeah, the internet's great. Yeah, like, like, uh, you know, just, I mean, it was just metal. I mean, it was just, you know, rails and, you know, components and wires and, you know, and then we just got together and put this thing together and, and, and uh, put it all together and it, it worked, you know, so, which was, no one knew if it was going to work and, and, until it did. Yeah, it's harder than people initially anticipate. It seems like when you watch the first, you hear about a 3D printed house, maybe you have experience with a 3D printer. And I mean, I thought it's like you press it, there's no more work on a construction site all of a sudden. Yeah, that's the sci-fi dream. And you know, and we're not really all that far from You're it. working towards about, it. Yeah, when you think about like where we are now, like to, so like the sci-fi dream is, is you read the book 
and you know a truck rolls in and you press a button and the robots kind of roll off the truck and then they build a house right and and that's like the promise right and so like we're closer than that than you would think you know because like right now what we have is like we have the trailer roll up and like this first time you know we pulled out pieces and andre put his printer together but like next time we do it you know the printer's already put together we're not going to do that ever again um and so like the pretty, we kind of unload the printer and set it down. What do you mean it'll be put together? Uh, it'll be like partially assembled, fully assembled in big chunks. That can, okay. you know, as opposed to like completely disassembled. Like Andre had to, I mean, I mean Andre was up there in Minnesota in the winter, you know, um, and he has his printer all broken down into the tiniest components because he's had to winterize the whole thing, you know. And so when he came down, it was, I mean. It was bolts, you know, so um, wires. Uh, bolts and wires and so I mean, and he's a genius, you know, he just got to work, you know, like re- doing the wiring. So like, that's all like a, uh, a unique process that, you know, as when we build our, our machine with him, you know, it's going to be in big components that just, you know, there's like, we already know how we're going to do it. We discussed it with Andre. I mean, it's going to have four or five pieces that you have to kind of set up. Yeah. Rapid assembly is so important if you want to have a fast job site. I mean, assembling some of these printers is as hard as like printing yeah absolutely and then we've been i've been on that from day one the cool thing about the Stroybot is it's it's by necessity really portable so like the the pieces of it can all be lifted with two people there's one piece that needs like three or four people mm-hmm. to lift into place um, or one crane you know but like it can all be done with people um and so uh and and really it can it can all if you're not trying to fit it into a 40 foot trailer that you're that you're driving from you know across the country mm-hmm. and you're trying to put it on a flatbed it can break down into two or three pieces and you just put those two pieces so like when we moved it from the garage section to the house that's more of like the test case of like how we would move the actual printer that was a like a three-day process to get it all set up to print that whole house still i think not that bad but more than people might anticipate yeah absolutely and, and maybe we'll be better in the future about it you know, like, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, but, but to get back to the original point, take a, like, to, so to spend like two days, you know, putting something together and then kind of feeding material into it and press a button printing, like, it's not that far off from like having it already be put together and kind of doing it by itself. Mm-hmm. Like the hard parts, what it's doing, not necessarily the setup and the, so I feel like we're getting, and we're already looking at different like ways to automate the mixing and everything. We've got good ideas for that. Yeah, that's the next step, I'd say, as far as making it automated. Uh, yeah. That and hose management's tough, too. Yeah. Yeah, so let's, let's watch the hose. Who's watching the hose? watching the hose, yeah. We're going to hire somebody just to watch the hose. Oh, it's funny. So I, I, I looked at a budget for another company, um, you know, that someone was showing me, you know, and so I'm like getting my feedback on it, having actually done it. And they had a person on there called a hose minder. So it's like, yes, you had a dedicated hose minder. We had, like, the way we were set up, you know, like, it was just like everyone has to watch the hose, no matter where you are. Just watch yeah. the hose, and make sure it doesn't kink, you know. And we we kinked it once and blew it up, you know. So that was cool. A lot of stuff can happen with the hose. Yeah, yeah. A lot of hoses blow up. Uh, the hose management systems, nobody has a great one from what I've seen. It's uh really tricky. Yeah, really tricky. I mean, it's heavy. Just eyeballs, you know. It's like you just like we were using a yeah plastic hose, so you just have to watch the thing, you know. And, you know, that in our, ours, Andre's a little more replaceable. It's not the end of the world if, you know, you 
get a kink in your hose. The butts. bad thing is if it hits the wall that you printed. True. Yeah. Yeah, that hasn't really been a, an issue. We've got a few splatters to spray them off. You, you know? mean as far as like some discharge from the hose or the hose itself? Either one, but if the mostly the hoses are heavy and they sag a little bit, so if they're going from one corner to the other corner, maybe they brush oh, into a wall on the way. So yeah, Andres is unique, and his his hose generally stays out of the way. Yeah, he's got a big long thing that keeps it all way away from the printer. So, uh, yeah, two years ago, every project had someone just hugging the hose, like <laughs> really? a six yeah. inch diameter concrete hose, weighs yeah. like oh, two hundred yeah. pounds. Good oh. lord, yeah, yeah. No, we're better than that. Yeah, um, but uh, that's interesting. Yeah, I'd love to pick your brain about it. You're going to like, um, let's say you're going to South America next. Uh, no, there's not really anything in South America. I'm going to stay in the States for the rest of 2022 for sure. Uh, and probably the rest of my lease at this place, which is, yeah. uh, up in the summer. So at that point, I'm hoping the Cybertruck comes out, which yeah. I placed an order on and I'll ship it to Europe and have the first Cybertruck in Europe <laughs> visit the life goals, yeah. every 3d printed construction company. Yeah. Uh, for six months, I'll bring my dog with me. And right. last time I went, Cobot was really generous to pay for my flight there. Yeah. And I canceled my flight back so that I could visit other companies. But I was obligated to stay with them for a certain period of time. And it was great. I'm really grateful for them for giving me that opportunity. But this time I'd like to pay my own way and be able to visit every company I possibly can. Yeah. Uh, so I'll <coughs> dedicate a sizable amount of time to that. Europe in 2023. And then I think the Middle East, Africa, and Asia in 2024. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, so what's going on in, um, like, uh, for a while there, Qatar had that, um, what was it, like 25% of their buildings had to be 3D printed or yeah, something? Yeah, Dubai was, it had changed exactly what it was a lot of times, but initially they said they want 25% of buildings printed, then they said 25% of every building has to be printed, so I need 25% printed components, but mm -hmm. I think there was some disconnect between what 3D printed concrete or 3D printing is capable of in construction right now, and their expectations and uh they're still pursuing 3d printed construction mm -hmm. i don't think that's going to be a law where every 25 yeah. i don't know yeah yeah well i mean it was it's an interesting concept because like it's like you know there's only a handful of buildings anywhere that are like totally 3d printed i guess you know so not a handful now there's more of it um, yeah it's increasing really fast now all of a sudden and especially when there's projects like you guys i didn't know about last week so yeah Maybe there's another one uh, that's staying low-key. I, I don't so, think so, because I did see pictures of your project from different places. Yeah. But uh, Well, we weren't trying to be secret. I mean, we did do it on the highway. So, I mean, like, every day we were doing there's people, like, coming around, yeah. checking us out or whatever. So, like, people, like, just word of mouth or whatever. Um, it was weird, you know. Like, we, you know, uh, my whole goal, which I failed at, was to build the house and completely finish it and then show people. Because, like... A lot of people wouldn't necessarily believe what we were doing until we showed that we could do it, right? Um, and just getting the walls up where we are now, like, I think we're kind of to that point where, like, yeah, there's going to be a house there. It's not, you're going to build a house. It's not going to fail, you know? Yeah. So we got we accomplished it in that. But my, my, my original plan was just to finish the whole thing, which we're only a couple months out from. Um, but then, like, like I say, we're on the highway. It's kind of a small town. Everyone started talking. And then, like, you know, a few people find you. And then, like... The right person finds you and then they post something and then it kind of just like it's such a out. cool thing i mean if yeah. somebody sees a 3d printed house they're going to tell everybody they know in yeah. town in their town right. or if they're one of the guys working on it uh every printed house 
it's pretty reliable. If there's a printed house in town, you can go to a bar with some tradies and just ask, where's the printed house? And they Yeah, know. it was weird in Brenham. Like, we were just, like, because Brenham's a small town, and, like, we would, like, go, like, for to a hotel where I was like, oh, you guys are doing the 3D printed house. And we're like, yeah, I guess so, you know. Their next question is, is this thing going to take my job? Yeah, it's like, I hope not, you know, like, but. Um, I don't think it will because it, it will. Uh, it's changing the jobs. Uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe there's some world where it's difficult to do new masonry work, but I don't see that happening anytime soon. I'm not a Nostradamus, but. Yeah. Yeah, we haven't gotten, like, I mean, the only, we've had a few, like, kind of run-ins with some, like, builders that were a little negative, um, but. The job market's good now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've got some people that, you know, naysayers and stuff. It's interesting when you talk to, cons like, construction people, like home builders, either think it's the coolest thing in the world or the stupidest thing in the world. There's, like, no one in between, you know? Like, it's like you talk to some, like, home builders, and they get it, and they're like, this is, like, awesome. Like, how do I get involved? And other home builders are like, that's never going to work. It's going to be more expensive, you know, and, like, you know, just want to tear it down. So it's just, like, kind of an interesting dichotomy. Yeah, it seems from my perspective like it is normally more expensive just because it's the first, it's early, and there's all these challenges, but it's not going to get less expensive unless people are doing it and you're getting the knowledge of working with automation on site, which is super valuable as this technology improves, which it is improving as opposed to traditional construction, uh, not improving. I mean, yeah, because like when you think about like framing uh, if you've watched a framer, a professional framer work, there is no more efficiency that can be wrung out of that process. I mean, these people are so good at what they do. You know, they go on there and they're just like machines, you know, and, and that's that's peak, you know, like we're not going to get better at like hand framing houses. With all due respect, I think people used to be better at it. I think that, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. like there's some old videos of guys doing framing and they just grab a nail mark the drywall and like make some crazy arch on the ceiling yeah. while they're like holding the nail in their teeth. <laughs> right, right. I don't see people doing that anymore. I think, uh, there's so few people going into trades now. Yeah. So I, yeah, I don't know if it, yeah, maybe, maybe so. I, I think that like, there's probably not much more efficiency, you know, that, that hasn't already happened since people have been doing it for so long. Uh, there's a lot of room for improvement in green space and the automation. And I do think it's, I, I see a very clear path to be a lower cost uh, product with it. I think that in this house, had we had we built this house as subcontractors, it would have cost us more. I'm pretty mm -hmm. confident when we tracked all the costs that like maybe we saved a dollar, maybe we saved you know a uh, hundred thousand dollars, but somewhere in there we've we've had cost savings just because I know that the finished product there was only one bank account. There was only a certain amount of money in that bank account, you know, and, and, and the house, you know, got done or is going to get done, you know, come heck or high water with that, uh, with that fund. And that fund is a lower cost per square foot by a good margin than had we hired a builder to do it. And maybe that's a function of the builders being really, really expensive out there. So, like, we are playing with that a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but even so, it's just the Did case. you get any deals from material suppliers or any of the contractors donating anything no i mean there was a couple people that maybe gave us a little better price they thought it was cool you know but um but not really i mean we bought our concrete from lowe's yeah you know uh, nice well i mean danny danny played the concrete game for a while which is oh. like you know there's only so much bagged concrete in brenham so danny right. had to call around right. we bought all of it yeah right um but uh, cement was, cement yeah cement yeah sorry not concrete uh that's a that's a rookie mistake right yeah right uh 
yeah, no, Danny spent a lot of time calling around, be like, hey, you got a pallet for us? You know, so it's like a like a drug dealer for cement. You know? <laughs> um, but uh, everyone in construction can relate. I mean, uh, logistics and supply have been a challenge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's. I mean, hopefully, since we're using fewer types of materials anyway, uh, we're getting better at that. But it is a lot of cement. It's a lot of cement. Yeah, I mean, we have what probably it, well, the the filling the walls was where we spent most of it. Because that foam creed is just cement and foam. <laughs> you know? Wow. Yeah, there's nothing else in it. So it's neat cement. So neat cement's got a, probably about a 4,000 PSI as opposed to like a concrete, which is like a five or 6,000 PSI. And who knows what the foam, how that affects the PSI. I mean, we, we, we did a lot of testing with it. You know, we put a lot of weight on it. And it seems just fine. Uh, and the eye test says it's just fine. And the density measurements we have says it's just fine. But, you know, don't really know, but um, but yeah. So uh, uh, it was twenty six pallets went to the, went to those walls. That's you know uh, twelve thousand dollars worth of cement. But twelve thousand dollars worth of cement in the walls, maybe three or four thousand dollars worth of cement on the printed sections of the walls, and um, a couple thousand dollars worth of sand. And that's your that's your walls. You know? That sounds low for the printed section of the wall. Um, it's one of those one and a half inch strips. One and a half inches. Yeah, so wow. it's not that much material. Um, and you know, in the sand, we got we got to get a really good deal on sand from our yard up there. They were Leroy Schrader has good deals on sand if everyone's looking. <laughs> yeah. And best price on Portland. Yeah, and best price on Portland too. So I'll give them a shout. In Brenham. Yeah, twenty seven dollars a cubic yard. So for the concrete sand, it's good price. But uh, yeah, so it was. It's not really that much material for the printing section because we're printing in those small strips. And we're not doing, we didn't do those mortar supports. You know, a lot of people that print the yeah. walls, they do that that wave in the middle or Corrugated, whatever. whatever. Yeah, that, number one, I gotta take a long time to do that. Cold bridging too. Yeah, um, so we just use these little uh, uh, galvanized uh, uh, wire mm -hmm. um, things we had made from a spring company and they were like 30 cents a piece. You know, we used maybe a couple hundred of them. Well, not a couple hundred, thousand of them so it's a lower cost to do it that way from a spring company yeah interesting yeah, yeah. i took a hinge day to a sushi bar she was an aggie What's yeah the, is that a good thing uh uh being aggie yeah depends on the it's aggie. a good thing right you gotta it's say forty-five thousand. yeah sure it's not? a cult my wife's an aggie so you know i mean i guess so everyone says it's a cult right a little bit i mean there's it's a big school did you dunk your ring in the pitcher and drink yeah, I, I did that everyone does that danny did that i don't mind though yeah. you're an aggie too that's right all right. Are you guys born and raised in Texas? I am not. Uh, uh, I've, I've been here since I'm a elementary school. Yeah, Massachusetts. Massachusetts. What part? Holyoke. Holyoke, Massachusetts. Is that near Boston? I'm gonna say yes. Small I don't state. Know. I, 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 it's been so long. I uh, I, I grew up uh, mostly on the East Coast, North Carolina. And Virginia. I don't remember much about Massachusetts. Yeah, I think sure. Holyoke's kind of in the... Is there a mountainous part? I don't know. I don't, I don't know anything about Massachusetts. Mount, Mount Holyoke. Yeah. I always associate with yeah. Mount Holyoke, so yeah, yeah. I think maybe there's a hill or a mountain somewhere nearby. Yeah, I'm from the East Coast to Jersey. Okay, cool. What, what, what makes you decide to come to Houston? Liberty. Houston is a great place for me to be centralized in uh, the United States just to visit all the... I can go to California and about 24 hours of driving, I can go back to the... Yeah. East Coast. I mean, I drive everywhere, so uh, right. I do about five thousand miles a month. Yeah, that's crazy. Five thousand miles a yeah. month. Well, yeah. Well, I don't know. What, what do we do? Uh, I don't know. We're doing a lot of back and forth right now. Like, uh, we're spending a lot of time it's, going it's back close. and forth to Brenham. 
I don't have a cool Tesla though. I've got a uh, the same lean. Like eventually our company's gonna have to buy a truck, you know, because mine, uh, the Blue Streak Blue is streak. a 2011 uh, F-150 with about 250,000 miles on it now, and so it's uh, the warning lights are on, and it's, it's starting to, you know. Uh, she's done her part. She's done her part. So at about four thousand miles a month and three bucks a gallon, it became cheaper to drive the Tesla than my old Jeep Commander, two thousand seven Jeep Commander. I yeah. had. So uh, it was a uh, to save money actually. Uh, yeah. The electricity is just so much cheaper. Right. Right. No, it's uh. So yeah, we're 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 about to have to actually buy a truck for the company. I are we. It sound like we're poor. We're not. We've got great capital partners. They I didn't think that at all. <laughs> they put the money in, and, and we've got it. I just, I'm just so like, I don't know, just miserly with it right now. Like, I'm waiting to the last minute to spend Absolutely everything. Good. So you know, I just, I, it's like I said, really going. Once a company starts struggling with cash, that's when you really start like stressing. I mean, I asked you guys in the video if you guys wanted to do any fundraising. You said nope, not nope, interested not in raising. Right we don't need yeah. that. Yeah, I didn't have the impression you were cash strapped at all. Yeah. Uh, when you did your first round of fundraising, was it friends and uh, family? Friends and not family, because uh, I can't really mix that with uh, business. Yeah, but, sure. Uh, well, like acquaintances and friends. Um, you know, I mean, people, um, there's, there's only like eight or nine of them. You know, so eight or nine people putting in, you know, money, amount of money that's comfortable to them because they really get the mission. Uh, and they're all strategic. You know, they're like, this person's a multifamily developer and this person's a home builder and this person's a industrial construction guy um so it's everyone that can kind of and this person's you know a developer so mm -hmm. like people that can bring a little something extra so we kind of chose our partners and i've dealt with a lot of closely held companies and you want to have good good partners and good investors that are going to understand when things don't go the way they're planning because they never do um and i think we've got that right now so well like I say, if we're gonna if we're gonna do eighty houses in twenty twenty four, we're probably gonna need to raise a little bit more money. But we probably may do it on the project side as opposed to the company side. So mm -hmm. we can, like, like our Marfa project. You know, it's one of our partners who's the developer on the project, and we can help him raise money for that project at a cap rate, like a normal real estate development. Exactly deal. right, and then they can hire the construction company to come in and do that. Uh, which is the you know the 3D company, and so we can participate on that development or not, you know, just depending on how the deal works out. I think it, those types of structures are much better for this emerging stuff because if you're all in the same boat rowing together, you know, and you're kind of partners or joint ventures on things, like we don't necessarily know how much it's going to cost to build Martha, you know. Yeah, if you're if you raise a billion dollars and you do a bunch of printed homes it's like an art project almost mm -hmm. uh it's not about the return but if you're able to do it in a traditional real estate development deal kind of scenario i think that speaks a lot more to the uh viability you have i mean because you have no choice right so either people are going to either make money on it or they're going to lose money on it and like one way to start something like this is to raise a bunch of money and say hey we're going to spend four years throwing spaghetti at the wall you know and 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 you know our processes and we're going to expect to lose money you know over the first you know however many years and i don't know, i couldn't i don't know if i could get investors on board for that or not but like it's a stressful way to be so i'm like let's do it to where like put together one project in one house that will make money and if that makes money we can replicate that and, and grow it that way so that's what we're trying to do anyway you know development divide that development everything we do is profitable that's the that's the goal yeah, I like to ask what you need most right now to grow, to reach the scale. Um, 
I think it's probably, um, guys, I don't know, you know, like, I mean, we got good projects lined up. Um, uh, I mean, it, it wouldn't hurt if these projects came, you know, if, if, if we're able to really button down our next two years in projects and really do that 80, you know, you know, 80 houses in 2024, we're going to need at least four printers. So there will be a little bit of capital required. And I think we, I think we could probably just all put it in amongst ourselves and with cash flow. but we're open to maybe a few, few extra partners, you know, but it wouldn't be like a massive out there money raise. Um, so that, and, um, you know, smart people and cool projects are like, really yeah. thrust right now like someone someone comes to me and be like i've got an awesome project in this part of the country that somewhere you guys can get to and we can show good economics for it and i can you know put together a great pro forma for it and i, and I can either fund it with my people or like the pro forma is good enough that you can go out to your people and get them to put in money for it that's the type of stuff that interests me and i guess the real answer to that question is like people that are committed to it uh they can start they can actually pay some money up front so we can mobilize. That's easier for us, you know, as, to, as opposed to like, you know, trying to structure everything where everyone's making money on the back end. It's just easier if we have a little bit of upfront money so we can get all stuff yeah. out there and our people out there. And, you know, Danny and me can pay our mortgages and all that good stuff, so. What do you think you'd need to raise for the 80 home project, like a rough estimate? Um, uh, well, I mean, I think we could do those. These are these are small houses. They're a thousand square feet, so um, you're looking at build costs in the eight to um, eight million dollar range or so. But oh, most of that's going to be bank finance. So mm -hmm. You're probably going to need to raise a million bucks for that or something. But the people that are doing that may have it all uh, in house. I mean, so they they, they may syndicate it. I don't know. I they they, they want to do it. So I mean, haven't really talked to them, but. Like it's not hard to raise a million dollars for a project like that. I mean, we raised not too far from that for our launch, you know, and just go out to people, hundred thousand dollars a time, fifty thousand dollars, offer a good return, offer the chance to do something cool for the community, and it's not that hard. Yeah, it's like uh, you guys kind of did it the old-fashioned way, going to individuals and uh, a lot of companies now do they do crowdfunding or some social media hack. Yeah, I don't, you know, having to answer to, you know, hundreds of people that put a thousand dollars in, yeah. um, you know, it's, number one, it's administratively very difficult. You know, you have, you have, a, you have a thousand shareholders now or unit holders uh, as opposed to, you know, nine or ten that, you know, really, really are kind of your partners in the business. So that's, and, and they're bringing that to it as well. It's all, that's, that's how I've always raised money for companies that I've done. I don't, I don't have like Silicon Valley connections or crowdfunding sure. connections or anything like that. I've got, I've got like Houstonian people that want to do, you know, want to start businesses kind of connections. So that's how we did it. Um, but you know, I, I'm not saying that's the best way to do it. It's just the way I know how to do it. So seems like a good way to do it to me. I don't see why not. Local yeah. people, there maybe you mentioned some of them have experience that's beneficial to you too. Right. Uh, it seems like you've done a good job selecting a team that has very complementary skill sets. Yeah, and, and it's like we don't, I mean, I don't know everything or hardly anything sometimes, you know, I just, I'm just considering myself a smart guy and want to learn, you know, and have a passion for it, so, and Danny's the same way, and, and so we're kind of blank slates, but like, yeah, I mean, 
I've built houses, but like I haven't built thousands of houses like my partner has, you know, so he can give us all that insight, you know, and, um, uh, and I've never certainly 3D printed a house, but Andre has, so he can give us all that insight. He's probably pretty 3D printed more buildings than anyone in the world, so that's cool to have, you know. Um, I don't think so. I mean, I like, as far as being around, you know. Um, yeah, for sure. He was really one of the first people on the scene. Right, right. So, um, you know, and, and we have other, you know, people out there that are advising us on that side. The other cool thing about what I've learned about this whole process and in industry is, like, you have, like, your 3D printing industry, and then you've got, like, your concrete industry that's, like, so much more mature, and there's so much, like, knowledge out there just, like, waiting to be, like, brought into it, you know, mm -hmm. like concrete science like people have like been doing this for like years and can mix anything you know if you just go to those people and then on the equipment side like everyone struggles with their mixing systems there's been there's there are commercial concrete mixing systems that are like super advanced so if you just fit some of that to your system then like you know you're you're leaping forward with a step i really want to look at using like on-demand concrete trucks yeah you know? those things we we looked at a couple of those um and really did a deep dive into it and, I mean, they've got computer systems that can measure your additives. They can do, take the dry mix and do it all right there in the truck. We just load it up with a dry mix, and it seems like it would work to me. But you know, who knows? That seems like the way to go. If you can not worry about the mixer pump system at all and have the right concrete mix delivered, but it's hard. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm not, not delivered. Um, I'm not talking about mixed a ready on mix site. Yeah, mixed on site. So you have these, like, on-demand. There's several companies that make them, these big concrete on-demand trucks. You load it up with dry It's like mix. a batch plate mixer on a truck. Batch, that's exactly yeah. what it is. It's a batch plate on a truck. And you got a computer where you can dial in exactly how much water you want and this additive, that additive. I don't see why it wouldn't work. Um, and so we're looking at it. And then you've got, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a mature industry. So you're getting that robust equipment, you know, as opposed to stuff that you're kind of making now. Mm-hmm. Do you know how many rotor stators you went through to get to the point you're at now? Only one. Wow. And it was it was right at the end too. Uh, it was the one on the mixer pump that we had to replace. Um, it had some miles over before we got it too, though. Yeah, yeah, it was old when we got it. So um, <laughs> you must have used, I don't know, 120 tons of concrete. Let's see. Um, <laughs> A lot of concrete. See, how many miles did we use? It, uh, it, in the printing of the walls, definitely less. And the foam crete? And the foam crete. I guess there's no... Uh, the foam crete, we've, we've used, well, we used 26 full pallets. That doesn't go through the rotor stator? Uh, it goes through a rotor stator on oh, the batch does. plant. Okay. Yeah, but that's separate from uh, the system we're using to mix and print the walls. <clears throat> that rotor stator is rented, so that's that one's fine. And that, <laughs> that, but that's also just cement and water, so that doesn't chew up the rotor stator like right. an aggregate does. But the printed wall, how, do you know how many tons of concrete? I can tell you right now if I, if I can do the count. So we get 12, um, do we use 12 pallets. No, you know, I got it in my notes. I do, I've done this math so many times. At some point, I was like, I'm going to write this thing down. A pallet's what, like 1.2 tons? Well, yeah, 3,500, 30, 30, I think. All right, so like 1.8. Wow, so you really have thin walls, and you're not using a ton of concrete. No, it's... Um, and again, some of that is, is you know, we're, we're supplementing that a lot with the fly ash, mm -hmm. which is, yeah, we, we learned that pretty early on, an excellent um, yeah. um, supplement. You know, you know when, it, when it gets wet, it sets like Portland, you know, 
when that fly ash gets wet. Gives you that toothpaste quality coming out too. Well, yeah, coming out, it's it's uh, you know it, it definitely helps with the plasticity of the um, of the mortar. Um, once it sets though, it's it's like a rock. It's mm. like shale when it when it hardens. Um, linear, thousand linear feet times ten feet tall, and then times was it point two five point two five because they're that thing's twenty five hundred linear. 2,500 cubic feet in those walls of con uh, of, of materials. So it's 2,500 cubic feet. That's 92 cubic yards. So cubic yards is about a ton, I think. Isn't that right? I would think. <laughs> yeah, I think it's like 1.2 tons. Yeah. So 92. You're about. You're pretty close. 100. 100. You said 120, right? Yeah. So about. It's more like 92. Still only. Uh, but I thought it was only 12 pallets for all that weight. It was at least 12 pallets. Uh, for the for, for the, the printing, mm -hmm. I don't remember. Well, only one rotor stator is great. So either you have a uh, the materials not wearing the rotor stator, I guess that you're using as much. Uh, you know the screening. We were very careful about screening first of all, like because you can you, you know when you buy that that concrete sand, like they say, you know there's the the aggregates this size. If you actually screen it, you get these big rocks in there. It's mm -hmm. always like the big rocks. So that's I think what kills the rotor stators. So it's a bit of a laborious process. Like we were. We were putting it in buckets and dumping it into the screener to get all the rocks out of it and um, into this hopper, you know, and then the cement went in the hopper and then it went up. Um, so uh, there's a better way to do that, I'm sure, but for now that's what we were doing. Uh, and maybe that saved the rotostator. Um, saved some hoses too, probably. Yeah, and I think, uh, and you know, Andre had these rotostators sourced from, I don't know, some far off place, so you can be very particular about the types we were using. Um, but they, they survived until the very end, and then that one, we had to replace that one on the mixer pump. Yeah, it's a finicky part of the system, but uh, very important, underrated. About 500 bucks, I think, which, you know, it's not that, when you're talking about a house, it's not that big a deal to replace That's cheaper that. than most of them. Yeah, okay, well, there you go. <laughs> so it was about 500 bucks to, to replace the, that one, and once you replaced it, it was fine. Well, let's say you guys solve construction automation, it becomes 50% cheaper, 50% faster. What do you do next? After you print a million homes, you get the business running on its own and your time's freed up. Uh, I don't know. I, Go to new Astrodome. You want to Astrodome. Astrodome. Yeah. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> That's um, cool. Right. I don't, you know, I, I, I don't know. It's like uh, uh, I'm so kind of focused on making this work right now and uh, it's, it's, it's been, been fun, but it hasn't been easy. You know, there's been a lot of... Uh, a lot of all-nighters covered in concrete and stuff like that. You know, I, I, I just, my, I want to, I want to, I want to see that next big project. You know, like, you know, ten, twenty, and then, um, and we gotta, we gotta. That's our big challenge now. We gotta, we gotta graduate past the uh, the artisan nature of what we're doing and be able to scale it a little bit. Maybe bring that forward with you a little bit too. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, that's that's a uh, hope. Yeah, cool. Are you guys hiring? You said you're always looking for smart people. Any yeah, particular so. role? Um, you know, um, so what we want right now uh, is another Danny. Um, so uh, what's wrong with this one? I like this. Danny. Yeah, it's because I, I gotta get rid of him. He's gonna pay the <laughs> you ass need to. day one. <laughs> you know, right? Like, Danny complain, needs Danny. Complain, yeah, complain, right, complain, complain, complain. Uh, Probably rightfully so. It's, it's not uh, easy. Um, we call it the rank of chucklehead in our organization. So right. You gotta have a. You got to go from like a short pants to a chucklehead because our architect came out one day to help us work and he's wearing short pants and so like ever since then he's been short pants. But 
Um, but uh, no, so uh, we need someone uh, like Danny um, that uh, uh, can um, learn to operate the machinery. Doesn't need sleep. Doesn't need sleep. Occasionally. Uh, like, so it can learn all aspects of the machinery then has some other really cool talents to bring to the organization, like whether you're a structural engineer or you already have an architect, or, you know, plumber or something like that, but like just whip smart and like willing to work their tail off. Um, like I say, everyone in our company, different kind of construction, different kind of company, everyone in our company is going to have an equity stake. So like whether it's a tiny one or a big one, you're going to be part of it. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so someone that like, you know, is okay working all night, uh, is okay potentially living on a trailer at a job site for a couple of days at a time or staying in a CD motel or something like that as we're, you know, as we're trying to, you know, bulldog through a project. Um, but also like, it's like, okay, well, I could also do like a pro forma and I can, you know, help source a deal and help put together a deal and maybe, you know, bring other, some, some really unique skill, whether it's like an engineering skill or something like that to the company, but like do it all, you know, because when we send these crews out, like I said, we want to be able to build a house. Someone who's interested in going out and building a house with four guys or, or girls. Like one of our best persons in Lake, I don't think say that. Uh, but but yeah, so like uh, someone like someone like that is who we're looking for. What's the most challenging day so far you that you can share with the podcast? Oh man. Um, oh man. Uh, a, take your a time. Couple of them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Danny answered that one. He's he Oh was no. <laughs> Oh, no, okay, one, I, one I, that I, I can got share. It. Okay, I, I yeah, got go it. ahead. I got it. All right. So the last, uh, so we needed to get the thing finished. We needed to finish printing. The last day of printing was supposed to be kind of like a celebratory thing, you know, like because like we're like we're gonna finish tonight, no matter what. And we were printing at night at that point because it was too hot. So um, so so we get out there, and uh, that was the day we replaced the rotostator on the very last mm -hmm. day because the thing just kept crapping so out. So you got a brand new rotostator. So, so no, no, we had to replace it like okay. before we started. So like we're, you know, taking that thing apart and replacing that. So we're behind. We didn't get started to pot. Oh, you kept the sleeve and you replaced the rubber. Yeah, yeah. So we didn't get Saved started until money there. like, yeah, yeah. And the sleeves, uh, you know, it's a custom. Half the cost, thing. yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, uh, so we, you know, we didn't get started till like 11 or so at, at night. And then we just have people coming through to help us throughout that process and kind of celebrate with us. And, you know, we had some beers out there and everything. But, like, you know, and Danny and I had been at this for two weeks. Not already been at this two weeks, you know. So we were, we were you know, f feeling it. <laughs> and, um, you know, so like these people will come by and, like, they come by and take, like, one look. And they're like, I'm going home. Screw this, you know. Like, I hear people come out and be like, I'm just going to head on home and maybe come back and help you tomorrow. So, like, you know, so, like. We pushed through all night, and, and you know we had, uh, you know, a sensor th on the thing broke, so we were we were uh, putting the level in by hand, you know, so at we the eleventh hour, eleventh hour, just to get it done, and then uh, and then we get into like eight o'clock and nine o'clock in the morning, and it's in the summer, it's starting to heat up, you know, so we've been going all night, you know, and then it gets to ten o'clock, and now it's starting to get kind of boiling out. Did you there. get Red Bulls at seven eleven? Yeah, no, I, we were just like you know slamming the Red Bulls and like. Of course, it's just me and Danny and Andre because, like, everyone else kind of, like, like we our help fell asleep, you know, like. <laughs> um, and there is no tomorrow. Yeah, on, on his fun, yeah we, we, we catch a guy sleeping in the car. I'm like, come on, man, get out, you know. Like, Another guy pass out yeah, in the right. middle of the job. So. Yeah. Why was there such a hard deadline you had to meet? 
it had to be done, man. There was no like, like it was just like we. This you just wanted to get it finish. done. You got, you got to finish it. You know, like if if you stop, you got to clean the whole machine out again. Yeah. You lose an hour, and so anyway, get it done. And we're going to like ten thirty, and then like you know like eleven o'clock. Now it's you know getting on a hundred degrees, and like we finally finish, and then like Andre's like, now we gotta do lentils. You know, so like because like once you gotta the, do them, gotta do the littles. You gotta pour the littles in because they're not stable until you pour that concrete. So now we're like like it's it's noon, and uh, and we're we're lugging buckets of concrete and mortar up to pull in there, and then like and then we're doing the misting. You know, and it was you know everyone I wanted to throw up. You know, and Andre almost died, but it was cool. <laughs> uh, uh, so that was the hardest day for me, but like uh, yeah, he probably had some that's, similar that's frustrations. Up that's that's up there, definitely. Yeah. It, it it feels like a lot of our hardest days are right when we're at the finish line because you're 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 spent kind of at that point and you just you can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. But they're just there there's all these unique problems you know when you're dealing with. They just keep popping up. And they yeah and they just do as they do and um, and so a lot of our nights have been like that. Oh and was it towards the end of something? The, the reason why we had to finish that day is because we had a delay because we. Uh, lost a bearing or something in the, in the machine and oh, we had to order it you know and then so now we lost two days or yeah. waiting for the bearing and in the wheel yeah so I mean it's I, always there, something it's always something yeah I mean look as we grow as a company you know like we're gonna have a warehouse full of parts and we're never gonna have to order everything off Amazon ever again you know um, well I mean we'll order it to restock but we're never gonna have to wait for it you know but um, that might be the most common piece of advice I get from teams is like order four times more of every part that yeah, you need. Absolutely. Yep. And yeah. materials, materials, same thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially the if materials you're out more remote, like where we are. They don't always have a great shelf life. They don't always have a great shelf life, but some of the stuff it, it does behoove the team to keep on hand because mm-hmm. um, you can't always expect that someone's going to be able to deliver something that day or the next day. Yeah. Um, so, and, and that's something we've gotten better at too, as we've, as we've gone along, uh, you know, related to your, your, uh, your question about who would we like to hire. So if what we just described sounds like fun, that's the kind of person we Yeah. 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 Someone that like thinks it's funny. Can go go from like, yeah, like look at that and like be able to laugh at it and be like, this is absurd. It's worth the story. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's worth the story. Like, you know, like when you're like, just like covered in concrete in your eyebrows and like in your... You're like you know, you you you're more concrete than person at that point. Like you just gotta look at it and say like this is hilarious. Like like this is what my life has become. I think it's funny. You know, you know that's the kind of person we need. So. I live for those moments. I mean, yeah. sometimes when I'm trying to film a project, trying to get up to Canada, they don't let me in. I gotta try again. It's like the hardest times are the reason that other people aren't doing the thing you're, you're doing, and so that's right, why right. like you're doing the right thing. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So that that type of person is who we're looking for. Um, they're out there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's it's and, and when you're finished, it's more rewarding, you know. It's like, hey, you know, I got like my literal blood is in this house, so um, you know. So is that the red dye? Yeah, it's the red dye. It's it's like actual like human blood that got put in there, you know. Uh, I forgot to show you when we were there. There's a there's a bug that's printed into the wall. It's kind of the nice. coolest feature of the house. It's a little. He's got a little hole where he's kind of looking out like his death you know stare. the assassin bug that got you no it was a different one oh, okay. like, just like an innocent bug that wasn't fast enough you know but he's printed right in the wall that would have been something if you got the one that stung you and you uh i should know that he did that one did go in the mixer actually. yeah there's nice. so open season on assassin bugs out there they get mixed right into the wall so yeah, there, there's right. some of them in there there's a little tequila in the mixer too you kind of throw that in there like as a, a celebration at the end yeah 
It's the best additive, I think. Is ranch water popular in Houston, or is that an Austin thing? It's, it's getting popular. Um, it's a new thing. Carboc makes a makes a pretty decent ranch water. You still, you I can't it. get over the name. I, I, it sounds like salad dressing to me, like mixed with water. And I was just like, I can't get over. I that. thought it was authentic, like historically, the ranchers used to throw some tequila in the water. That's I don't a know. Brand oh, really? New thing. Yeah. I, that's what I assumed. Oh, maybe. We yeah. Danny and I do go way back, and we have a um, a tradition of like when you're really miserable, like in the in the heat, and you're doing some kind of <laughs> manual labor, you take a shot of tequila, like out in the middle of a tarmac. It's a good tradition. You know? yeah, yeah, just make just and warm, like, yeah. let it heat up all day, and then you know, you know do that because it just you know makes it that much better. You know? yeah. Moving, shoveling, yeah, any kind of yeah, unrewarding manual. <laughs> yeah. yeah, reward yourself by standing out in the middle of the sun and taking a hot shot of Yeah. We defaulted to a bucket system, which, uh, you know, uh, that's not the way Andre's system was designed. It had like a automatic, it came with an automatic, you know, weight sensor and an automatic water sensor. And then like, we're like, the buckets are easier. And he's like, whatever you want to do. And so like, we got to get a little more high tech. What had the sensors on it? The, uh, the trough has, has a sensor to, you know, when it weight. gets to a certain weight. Of the mixer uh, pump system. The, the, the dry mixing system yeah, is a okay. sensor, you know, but like, yeah, so it was a little, it was a little low tech towards the end, just buckets, <laughs> um, <laughs> buckets of dry mix into the wet mix, into the water, into the thing, but still only three people, you know, so as long as you can keep it under three people, whatever is most efficient, it's most efficient. Agreed. True. So we're trying, we're, when we're working with our other kind of partners, like, you know, kind of bring some of that to it, and like, you guys may be overthinking this little part, you know, like, you're, you're automating a part that's like, doesn't necessarily need to be automated it's faster just to do it you know um, sometimes especially when you're getting started and there's something to be said for if you're uh, handling the material closely then you have more control over the parameters that's right yeah and you learn it you know we're still learning so I mean you get like really kind of in-depth we're all concrete scientists now or maybe concrete artists is the better word. I don't know, you know, but like... Uh, and a half a dozen other new jobs you had to learn to be able yeah, to pretty print a house. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. We're I mean, in some stuff, you just have to kind of like, like do what makes sense, you know, like just kind of use some common sense about it, you know, and uh, we had a great structural engineer and he's very flexible, so like we run everything by him, you know, but uh, there's something to be said for like looking at something and saying that looks really strong, <laughs> you know, like if we do it that way, I, I think this is going to be really strong, you know, and and then call out the structural engineer and saying, hey, I want to, I want to do the rebar this way. And saying, whatever. Because his, his standpoint's always like, you guys have foot-thick concrete walls and you're building a house. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. There. Yeah, cool. What are you guys doing for marketing? Are you taking a lot of footage of the work you're doing, social media? We do have a lot of footage. Um, you got to post it. Yeah, we're, we're uh, yeah, so I think we, we made one of our first posts the other day. Nice. Uh, um, but I think that we've, we kind of been playing kind of close to the chest up, up till. Yeah, I mean, you got all the funding you recently. need. You're not looking for right. clients or anything, but it's always good posting. Uh, at some point, you'll want to do something with an audience that. I'm always looking for clients, you know, because like, we have a lot of people that want to do cool stuff, but like, there's always something cool out there. You it's know? tough with this industry because so many people saw the ten thousand dollar three D printed house yeah, video. Yeah, right, right. A lot of companies they'll say we have a sixty thousand person waiting list, but how many of those people are expecting a ten thousand dollar house? Right. Right. A yeah, lot so of them. That's a question, you know, like, I don't know. I saw, um, 
um, like, I ask, I want to ask you, you know, like, sure. uh, since you know more, you know, I, I know probably about as much as the industry as I've learned from watching your podcast. So I go right to the stores with it, you know? Um, it's so like, in your opinion, like where are all the houses, you know, like, uh, it's been around now, what, like five, six years. Um, but is it that they're all just like coming and they're all going to jump on us right now? Or is there something that's like a misconception out there? What, what's the, well, first off, I think there's more intelligence in my podcast than there is in me because people say things that I don't always absorb 100%. So there's more information just in general in the podcast episodes than I've captured probably. But uh, I think my sentiment is that it's not yet cheaper. So the uh, people aren't diving in head first. But there is a huge increase in the number of projects, mm-hmm. and there's dramatic improvements in layer quality, team cohesion, the, I guess, level of stress on the job site, how mm-hmm. prepared people are to handle the different issues that always do come up. Uh, so I'm seeing rapid improvement, which keeps me motivated to stick with it and yeah. keep covering companies. Cause I have no doubt that construction automation is going to be the future Some in some way or shape or form technology is going to find its way into construction right uh, and the groups that know how to bring it on site like you guys are doing now working with robots on a job site uh, the skills are going to be transferable whether it's a 3d printer or a tesla bot or some other robot whatever the machine is uh, you can't stop automation yeah yeah no I was, it was funny I, I had a really slick investor presentation i was giving uh and you know, my opening was, um, my opening was, you know, um, it was, it was for a company that, you know, did manufacturing and I was like, and they had a very rich company history about, Mm -hmm. you know, moving from hand to automation. And I was like, I went through their company history in that process. And I said, you know, way back in 18, you know, 22, when this first person was making his first thing by hand, there was someone nearby him that was nailing boards together to build a house, you know, and sitting here today in this meeting, yeah. there's someone nearby us that is nailing boards together to build a house, you know? So you guys have progressed. Every every other industry in the world, the chairs were sitting in, the tables were, you know, cow our drinks on. This was built at some level of automation, but the, the house, for some reason, is still a hand-built process, more or less. So that's got to change. I, so I agree with that, but, like, um, I, I don't... Um, I, I guess I can see how uh, maybe it's not cheaper, but um, to me, when I looked at the materials that we use and we spent, the materials are cheaper. And we did it with less people, <laughs> you know? So like, uh, you know, and maybe it took about the same amount of time, I don't know how much time we saved, although a custom builder in the area is gonna sell, tell you a year and they're not gonna be able to make a year right now in this environment. So we're under nine months, even from start to finish, so we're doing okay. I'm, yeah, I don't doubt what you're saying at all. I just have seen enough projects to know that yeah. the skill that you've developed is worth more than the numbers yeah, yeah. that you put in. Right. And uh, and maybe what, maybe what we're doing is not necessarily like like you know can be scalable without exactly exactly a lot of cheaper like, at scale cheaper ultimately. at scale ultimately uh, without you know making some advancements of our own. But um, but, but maybe it is. I mean, at that point, we'll come that it's cheaper. So and yeah. we're not going to know until after the fact. Yeah. So it could be now, it could be 
next right. year could be who knows. Yeah, yeah, no, that's right. I I think it's I, I think it's awfully close. I mean, because uh, when I was looking where the promise is, like the promise is okay. If the materials were more expensive, then that's a brick wall. You can't ever get over that, right? So, um, I mean, I guess you could save on the labor side, you know, but um, and that's it. that is the case with a lot of systems out there. The materials are more expensive because you have the the premixes, you know, that are five hundred dollars a cubic yard. So, but if you can solve that, and you're and you're using your your cheaper materials, the materials are cheaper. Then, like, is the labor more? Um, and I, I don't think so. You know, like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. We, I, I feel like we track the cost. I feel like we're, we are, we are cheaper, at least for this house. And if we're cheaper for this house, the very first one we've done, then certainly we'll be cheaper for our next one. But stay tuned, you know, like maybe, uh, you know, like the next thing we're going to do 10 of them. And, you know, I don't know, like if we can't do it cheaper, we're not going to make any money. Cause that's what I we're think for. the physical labor aspect is no doubt easier, but there's an added intellect or training sure that isn't required to do brick and mortar yeah yeah no that's right uh that's right and i think you know that that's maybe maybe an organizational issue you know like i mean like 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 by having a company where everyone's a partner and everyone's kind of mission driven and into it like you're able to get these people that can like be these five tool players and and um uh be keep it in house and go out and do this as a as a group and a crew. Maybe that's something that helps. Uh, yeah. you know, with that with that situation. To where I mean, yeah, I mean your traditional home builder wants to go out and hire a bunch of subcontractors, and you know, and they. That's the other thing. Like, in traditional building a house, which I've done, you stack all these margins on top of each other. Everyone out there's got to have a margin. Yeah. Right. So you compress the people. You compress the margins. You know. So, you know. Like how some of these technology companies were approaching building a 3D house. Um, if you're gonna, if you're just gonna be like a, another subcontractor in the process, then like I don't, you, you don't get much cost savings. You bring in your machinery yeah. and all your capex, and like, and now I'm gonna be, um, I'm gonna be the person that does the walls, and then, but I've got another developer that's in charge of the whole project, and then he's gotta have a margin, and I've gotta have a margin, and sometimes it doesn't work, maybe. You know, or it's harder to put that deal together. Whereas if you're kind of joint venturing or partners in the whole deal, you're there's less mouths to feed in that process, maybe. Yeah, the less people you have on the job site, mm -hmm. more cost effective, less margin, less middlemen. Yeah, yeah. So who knows? We'll see. I mean, like I said, the only way to the only way to do it for one house is to do it for one house. And the only way to ever do it for ten houses is to do it for ten houses, and we don't have the we don't have the giant pot of money to like not be able to to not. To be able to afford to not make money on these things. Yeah, you will see. Yeah, <laughs> right. We'll see. Uh, I mean, I we uh, you know we're gonna get this house finished, you know, more or less on budget. So that's been at least some proof of concept. Yeah, and it's not hard to argue that it deserves some premium for a lot of the details you guys put in, especially as an Airbnb. You can as a short-term rental. Uh, It'll be a good case study for generating an ROI from a 3D printed house. Yeah. I don't know if that's been done yet. I, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I know that, um, like I say, when we, we have hard bids on everything to finish the house. Uh, like I say, we're sticking on budget pretty good. Uh, good margin on the house. Um, I think you're right. I mean, you don't necessarily... 
I like to compare it to traditional construction. You don't really need to. Yeah. The question is whether it's going to make money or not. The question is whether whether I can build a house for whether I can if I can sell a house for six hundred thousand dollars, can I build it for a significantly less than six hundred thousand dollars to make money on it and cover all the overhead? The answer to that is absolutely yes. Uh, for this project anyway. Maybe that was a twenty twenty one market thing where it was crazy. Out. Once you get to eighty ohms, then you you want to be maybe cost competitive, more cost competitive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, 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 I don't know. I, we've tracked the expenses pretty closely, and I think we're we're tracking a lot lower than what it costs to hire a bunch of substitutes. Maybe not even at eighty, but at eighty thousand certainly. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I'll I'll retire long before we build eighty thousand houses. Someone else can change the world. You know. All right. But, uh, but we'll get it. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll get a lot of a lot of them in the ground. I really want, like, by the end of twenty twenty three, we want to have um, thirty houses in the ground. That's a lot of homes. They're little, you know. But but the thousand square feet, twenty to thirty. So like, uh, the the round top, you know, units. These are little Airbnb units. They're basically self contained apartments, basically. You know, so there's six hundred square feet or so. There's ten mm -hmm. of those. And then Marfa, we got between 10 and 20. So, but at the end of 2023, if we've got between that 20 and 30 done, then we'll have um, 30 houses done. And, you know, I mean. That'd be tremendous. Yeah. I mean, Lennar may or may not have 100. I don't know, you know, but after you go past that, you know, who else is out there that's done that many? I don't know. Yeah, Winsome's done a lot of printing, but uh, I don't know what they've been up to lately. Yeah. I'm, so we'll, 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 we'll stay stateside because, you know, who knows about your, like, about Winsun and stuff like that. That's a kind of a, can't find much information about what they, what they do, can you? Or no. I, I can't anyway. It's uh, all, like, Chinese news networks from four, five, six years ago. Yeah. For the most part. Uh, they were, like, there was some bridge or something like that? They were going to, like... Yeah, they did a couple bridges. Bridge or... And there's other 3D printed construction companies in China now. Uh, yeah. Washing Tengda and uh, Guangli or something like that. Uh, yeah. But Winsun hasn't, they definitely toned down their operations. Really? Uh, from when they initially <coughs> invested a ton of money. But America's where it's happening right now. Really? For 3D printed construction, it seems like. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it seems like Texas should yeah. blow up. It is. Because, just because of the, the builder-friendly, you know, environment where, you, you know, like when I was first starting this a year ago, you know, people were kind of surprised by it when I was saying like, they were like, well, what about building codes? What about this? And it's like, yeah, it's not something we have to worry about necessarily. I mean, it's unique. It's unique, you know? And, and so, I mean, that was one thing, you know, like we could drive an hour outside the city and be able to put a house down without having to go through some long permitting process for it. That's fairly unique from what I've seen. Um, but yeah, people were really wrapped wrapped around the axle on it, you know, in a lot of places. I mean, I talked to uh, a good associate um, <clears throat> in Europe, and, you know, he told me to talk for an hour, and he's just someone who's really well connected in the industry. I was like, well, why haven't you really into this? Why haven't you built houses? Him. Yeah, and he said, well, we tried, you know, this failed project failed in permitting, and this project failed in permitting, and I'm just like, wow, that's rough, you know? Like, I mean, I'm, I'm even frustrated with how much stuff we have to go through in the U.S., but it's like, I mean, I, I've been you know, taking deep dives into building codes for a long time, you know, I've, as an attorney, I've, you know, litigated those issues, and it's so frustrating to me, some of the crap that's in there, you know, because I take, for example, the electrical code, you know, there's a lot of stuff in there that's safety-based, and that's great, 
there's a lot of stuff in there that's just like convenience-based, you know, like like if you have a balcony, you've got to have a plug every four feet, you know, along your balcony. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but it probably it's because at some point someone thought like they might want a lamp up there or something like sure. that, you know? And so like from the consumer standpoint, it's like you're going to force people to put four plugs up along their balcony. Uh, w- there's a consumer out there that may want that. There, there's a consumer that may say, I want to save that 500 bucks, <laughs> you know? Um, and and we're, not, we're not giving that person that choice. choice. We're requiring them to have those four plugs up there. And then, like, as these things evolve over time, it's an additive process. Like, every year, some electrician somewhere says, like, hey, we now we need our plug, you know, a plug uh, next to the bed that's four feet up so you can plug your chargers in. Yeah. It's like, great idea. That's great for people, you know? So you add that. Then the next year, someone says, like, now we need this. So you add that. And then over time, you just add and add and add and add and add. And you end up with this monster of a code that's really expensive to build because you're just adding stuff. You're never taking anything away, you know? You're never looking at cost. And so you wonder why things are so expensive to build. It's because, like, Every every code is like that. You're always adding this and adding that. You know, like that's on right now in Virginia right now. They're talking about bird safe glass in houses. You know, like we want to add bird safe glass. You know, it's like that's crazy. It's a cool thing. What is birds? If they fly into it and it doesn't kill them, they don't fly into it. Okay. Yeah, it's like I reflect it so they don't fly into it. That's a cool thing for people that like birds. You know, like you can buy bird safe glass, but now we're going to require everyone to have bird safe glass. You know, and it hasn't passed yet. What happened to bird evolution? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Like we really doing the birds a favor, right? By like teaching them hard lessons. Maybe our kids' bird houses will have less birds flying (laughs) into it. Right. So it's just stuff like that that like just keeps getting added and added and added, and then like. you wake up one day and you're like we can't build affordable houses you know it's like well you know like we we went from four walls and a roof to like all this stuff that like someone may want to buy buy it but don't make everyone buy it yeah want it kind of thing nuke the code i like it yeah just nuke the code uh you know have some basic performance requirements that's the other thing about building codes they're not performance based they're not like your house must have this much wind shear resistance or this much energy efficiency. It's like your stud has to go here and your next stud has to go here and your cinder block has to go here. And, you know, so they're real specific as far as how you build stuff. And it's like when you got something new, you're going know, like to make a whole appendix for it now. You know, and said, it, it's not that bad in Houston. Like, well, we're talking to the city about stuff and they're like, look, you got a structural engineer. He says it's okay. We're going to be okay with it. But it's still a process you have to go through. It's kind of irritating. And in other places, a lot worse on that. You know, yeah. hard to. And there's some industry capture you gotta worry about. You know, like you have a lot of tradespeople saying that, like, it's so easy for a, you know, a, 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 a union trade representative to go in there and say, like, you can't do it that way, it's unsafe. You know, the only way to do it is our way because this is what we're trying to do. And there's a handful of people that can do that. I mean, there was a project in Louisiana where the fire marshal shut them down. They didn't like the sprinkler system. Yeah. Is a concrete home is worse. It's going to burn. But <laughs> right, right. Well, let's let let's let people take their own risk on this. You know, like I, you know, like I. As long as the as long as the information is there for the consumer and they can say like, I know what I'm buying. I understand, you know, like that it doesn't have this or that or the other. But I'm choosing to buy it because I want to. I think it's better, you know, or leave a little room open for experimentation. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. That's that's a bit of a soapbox. I'm sure I'm bang. I'll bang my head up against that at some point. But right now, where we don't have to worry about it. Yeah, that was good planning. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Well, we got a lot of good topics covered. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything we left out? 
We talked about the assassin bugs. Talked about the assassin bugs, the scorpions. Yeah, got hit by. Yeah, I think we're good. All right, thank you guys. Thank Thank you so much, Jared. Appreciate it.